0: I'm here in a moment but I want to point out a word and it just jumped out at me as we were singing it there because it's so appropriate and it's in the second verse of that song it says once I was lost in sin's degradation what a great choice of word for what sin does degradation means it degrades you it takes you down um, I went to uh, chiropractor this morning and trying to get my head twisted back on straight and uh, I went in and the uh, one of the ladies was working there somebody else waiting and several people in the office and uh, she was talking about uh, something that happened driving wise and how there was an ambulance coming and, and she was pulling over for it and someone went around her in the berm and went past honking and all this stuff and she asked the question. Everybody was standing in there. The other couple of ladies were working. She was standing. And she said, don't know what's going on with the world. And I was sitting there waiting. My appointment was coming up. And I had just a couple minutes early for it. And I looked up. I said, Well, it's real obvious what's going on with the world. I said, if you're a Bible believer, you'd not be surprised by any of this. I said, this is the nature of what happens when a, when a nation kicks God out and says, we don't want you kicks you out of education, which is always the first place, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So that's where it starts. And, and I said, it's just what happens. I said, this is what we get to. I said, that's, that's what you're seeing going on. That's why, that's why you're seeing these things going down. That's what sin does. Sin. I, I wish you'd get a hold of this thing. Degrade it degrades you. We have a filthy society. Not only the way they talk and do things, but they look filthy. The fashion is ragged, torn up clothing. That's degrading. That dishonors you. The fashion is, is all kinds of weird get up and piercings all through the body and your body all carved up. That's degrading. God doesn't want you degraded. Boy, I tell you what, if God's people realize the heritage and the value that you are to the Lord, don't ever settle for a degraded existence. That's not what God has for you. God's taken us to a city of light, and a beautiful place, and a place that's clean. And we ought to be people who are living that way. Let's live like citizens of there while we're here. You know? I've been in some rough areas of some rough towns. Um, brother Jerry always kind of, he thought it was funny and he laughed. He and I were out soul winning one time. And uh, we had somebody we were over here. Um, I think we were off around Harrison somewhere. And fellas said, now you two be real careful out here. You're in a rough neighborhood now. And, and and we just thought it was funny. Not saying anything bad couldn't happen to you because it could, but it was just funny. You know, Brother Jerry's been all over around the world in the Navy and he's worked around major cities and all this. And he was laughing. He goes, you used to sell roofing all over Chicago and in the bad areas and down in Houston. I went winning in the worst neighborhoods there were. It's just kind of funny. But, you know... When when I went in those neighborhoods, I never wanted to. I never wanted to start living like what the worst of that was. I never had a desire to say, I tell you what, I want to do. I want to do that. I want. I want to be. I want to behave like the bad stuff you saw going on. And uh, let's be like that when it comes to this world. Let's enjoy what our God's made that's beautiful about it. Let's enjoy the good things that He's put here, and that would all be good if, if sin hadn't messed it up. Uh, but let's enjoy those good things, let's honor God in them, but don't let sin degrade you. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for that hangdog look and won't look people in the eye and kind of shuffling through life. No, that's nonsense, man. God's got something better for you. And uh, so anyway, good, good stuff. I better get to the message or we'll never get home for sure. All right, let's go here if you get your Bibles open. We're going to be starting out in 1 Samuel and ending in Revelation. Yeah, I kid you. I kid you. 1 Samuel 22. Apparently, some jokes you don't think are as funny as others. Um, you concerned there may be an element of truth in it. And there isn't. Having fun with you. I'm glad to see you all out tonight. Thank you. Let me get you something good from the Bible. Kind of give you a little biblical strength here in the middle of the week. Teach you some Scripture. If the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, there's built within you an appetite for the Word of God. If you haven't... Uh, Numbed that by wrong practices of some type, then that's an appetite within you. And I want to give you something that will help you for the rest of the week, and then we'll get you out of here at a decent time. Um, give you a little bit of review. I'll take just a few minutes and give you a little bit of review. And I want to touch on something I taught Sunday night because I barely touched on it. I just want to give you a couple of thoughts on it tonight as I went back over and I was thinking about it. I thought I want to elaborate on that a little. We've had uh, tonight will be the sixth message in this series called David's Wilderness Years. The subtitle of the series is the Fashioning of a King, and uh, we've been learning about David in that time period from where King Saul eyed him, was jealous of him, and wanted wanted to hurt him, up until we will go up until David is actually put on the throne in a city called Hebron, and at that point he's. He's uh, king over part of the kingdom of Israel. He's there seven and a half years before he becomes king over all of Israel. And uh, so during that time period we started out. The first message we had was back on uh, March 13th in the morning service. Preached on the subject of prepared for the preparation. And a quotation I gave you with that which serves throughout this whole uh, series is this. The throne of David was not established in the palace. It was established in the wilderness. God made David what he needed to be out there in the wilderness. Then that evening on March 13th, I preached a message called Seeds Are Sown. And in that one, we saw seeds of loyalty, seeds of greatness, and then we also saw jealousy and fear, which grew into hatred and destruction. And what we're going to study tonight, you're going to see those plants, hatred and destruction, really coming coming to size in, in Saul's life, and what he does, and what we're going to study tonight. Uh, the, saw that there. And then on Wednesday, uh, last Wednesday on the 16th, preached on the subject of pat, uh, patterns emerge. Start seeing patterns in these lives. Um, your decisions, uh, your choices become decisions, decisions become habits, habits become chains. Good decisions can become habits, and those habits become cords of love. They become strength to you, but that's the way it happens. It starts as a decision, it goes to habit, and then it then it it, it, it gets you it, it holds you in, as it were. And so patterns emerge. We saw the pattern in the lives of Saul, Jonathan, and David. There were certain things in their lives that keep showing up. And then uh, last uh, Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, preached on the final separation. And Saul, my goodness, he showed himself to be evil and treacherous towards David and Jonathan. I mean, his own son and David, a man who's been good to him. David and Jonathan showed themselves to be men of integrity. They had integrity towards God. They had integrity towards each other. And both of them, in their own sphere, had integrity towards Saul, even though he was misusing him. It's really quite, quite an example in the Bible. And then Sunday night, our last time together, um, we found out about priests and Philistines. You remember that? David went over there to Ahimelech, the priest, and he asked for the showbread. Remember that showbread? told you about that. That's the hallowed bread. say, what's hallowed bread? It's sacred or sanctified bread. It was set apart for the priest, and it was set apart to be put out as part of the way they worship God. It was symbolic... Of of the uh, word of God, it's symbolic of Jesus Christ, who's the Living Word. Very important. And David, you remember, he's trying to get out of the country. He's trying to get away from Saul, and he got there. and He was hungry, and he asked Abimelech, the priest there. He asked him. He said, uh, he said, I, I need something to eat. And he said to him, like he said, I, I need something. Do you have anything? And he said, all I have here is the showbread. And and David said, well, he said. Uh, the, men, the the men, he had some younger men with him. He said they're in a manner holy and the bread's in a manner common. And he took that bread and ate it. And then, what else he asked for? Does anybody remember? The stretchman. Pardon? He asked for a weapon and Ahimelech and told him there was a sword. But it wasn't just any sword. Whose sword was it? Goliath. Goliath's sword. Yeah, you all remember it real well. And of course, Goliath's sword, he got that. And then he went down to the Gath. He went down to the hometown of Goliath, all right? Daniel, set up, buddy. You got your head tilted back, your brain's tilted back pretty soon. He'll just roll out your ears and you'll never know it's gone. Right, but, and, uh, I love it. The, your brother's already gone. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't rescue him. Um, but they, uh, uh, but it was Goliath's sword and he took it and left there. There was a fella. There was a fella that was there and saw what went on. He was the head of Saul's herdman, And his name... He he's, he's, he's sort of, uh, uh, he sort of, uh, his name—the saying of it—sounds like the kind of fellow he is. Do you remember his name? Doag, right? That doesn't even—you know—you call somebody Doag. It doesn't sound like a compliment, does it? And it wasn't with this guy Doag, all right. And he was an Edomite. Remember the Edomites? Who were they descendant of? Who is Edom in the Bible? Esau, Esau very good. Man, you are a smart group. You're so smart. We can just go home. Everybody good with that? And uh, good stuff. But we're going to build on that. And what I what I said when we were going through there in uh, chapter 21, verses 3 through 6, which is when it deals with uh, David and the showbread and all that, that particular event that happened, Jesus refers back to at a time when He is being confronted. Jesus was going through a field with His disciples, and His disciples were hungry. And they picked the corn, they picked that that grain that was there, they picked that and they They began to eat it as they went. They just needed something as they're going. They weren't trying to harvest the guy's field or steal stuff, but they they could do that. But Pharisees were watching. They really got upset that those men were eating as they were traveling along. Why were they upset? What was the deal? What got them upset? It was the Sabbath day. And they come to Jesus and say, Why do your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? (laughs) I love Jesus uses this phrase a number of times through the Bible. Of course, nothing he did was accidental. Did you ever catch what he would say to him? He'd say, have you never read? It's quite a statement. These folks would be Pharisees and scribes who pride themselves on the law, and he'd say, did you never read? You know? <laughs> I remember a preacher friend of mine once, a guy who's got a couple of doctor's degrees and stuff, and uh, most of you all don't know him at all. And uh, he... <laughs> he he, we were talking about something and, and I, he, I, I quoted something to him and he said, that's good. He said, uh, he said he says, I'm kind of surprised. He says, you came up, that was a good thing. He was harassing me. I said, well, I'm rude in speech but not in knowledge. He goes, that's a good quote. Where'd that come from? And he was serious and, and that was so much fun. I said, Bible? And he's like, oh, brother. <laughs> that was good. It's was kind of neat. He's tripped into that. You got to enjoy those when they happen. But this, Jesus would say to him, have you never read? And what he mentions, he said, have you never read what David did when he was a hunger? And how he ate, the sh- he ate the showbread, which was only for the priest to eat. And then Jesus made this statement about it. He said, and I'll get it right this time instead of flipping it. He said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Forgive me this. Brian figured this out a long time ago. I would have never written it down as if I was writing a doctrinal Paper, I wouldn't have written the statement down because it would have been obvious if I'd written it down. But it's the way my mind thought with it. And I didn't even realize it until I read that and then it just jumped out at me. <laughs> I always, Robin, I don't know how to explain this, I always kind of thought the Sabbath was for God. And it wasn't. God rested on the Sabbath. After he created six days of creation, he rested on the seventh day. But the institution of the Sabbath recognizing that rest was for man. And then Jesus went and explained it further and said the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Do you realize, do you know what happened was the thing in the Bible the first time when the Jewish people as a group as a group, decided they were going to kill Jesus. They came out and said we're going to destroy Him. We're going to kill Him. And then they kept after Him from that point. Does anybody know what happened? He healed the fellow and told him to pick up his bed and walk with the bed after he'd been healed. And because it was on the Sabbath day, it says from that point forward, they sought opportunity to kill him. They got so upset, they totally missed that a crippled man with no hope in life had gotten healed. And they were so upset that he was carrying his, his bed on the Sabbath day that they came to him and they said... Why are you carrying your bed on Saturday? He's carrying this thing along, you know? And, you know, you have a four-poster antique bed at home. It's not that size one, okay? So he's got something to carry. And, and, and here's what the fellow said. He said, the one that healed me told me, take up thy bed and walk. I love that answer. In other words, well, I'm doing it. So it just healed me from, you know, this severe condition. So I figured he had the 40. <laughs> and then they're like, who did it? He didn't know it was at first, and then they got in there, and, and when they found out, they zeroed in on the fact it was Jesus. It says they sought to destroy Him. Totally. They didn't care if that guy got well. Well, that was typical of the way they went about things. In the midst of dealing with those people, the first time He's confronted about the Sabbath issue with this, Jesus looks at Him and says, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, referring to Himself Is Lord of the Sabbath also. Let me just give you these, all right? I I wrote down this thing, and I thought more about it, and and Sunday night, quite often on Sunday night when I have a little time alone. (laughs) I literally, I, I, I thank the Lord for an opportunity to have preached his word. I literally ask him to be patient with me. I hope that you all are forgiving and will come back again. There's so much truth. there's so much, and as a preacher, you see this, you want to get this across, it's so good, and it's going to go just this way, and you get done, you're like, uh, I missed it again. Okay, let me go back and try again. I'm going to keep trying and try to get this right. And and I went back, and I said, man, I should have given just a little bit more on that because it's been such a great truth for me, and I think uh, some of you will catch it too, and it'll be, it'll be great for you. I put it down in kind of a, a succinct form here. I, I wrote a title on this little part of this called The Sabbath Serves Man In That It. And then we'll follow from there. Why, how how's, Sabbath is made for the man? How does the Sabbath serve man? What's the purpose? It serves man. Here's just four quick things. With it. it allows him to acknowledge God's position as creator. Now, there were very strong all about the Sabbath. And at issue with it, it allows man to acknowledge God's position as Creator. When they observed a Sabbath day in the Old Testament according to the law, they were acknowledging that God was the Creator of all things. Think how vital that is just in day by day living and thinking. <laughs> if you don't see God as the Creator, you're not going to understand your need of Him as the Savior. Also, if He didn't create you, then how does He have the capacity to save you? The things are are dependent on each other. And so, when they did this, when when they were observing it, they would stop and they would worship God on that day. They would honor God on that day. And what it did, they were honoring God as their Creator. They stopped from their labors and said, God, we acknowledge we came from You. This is pretty amazing. God made it a point in the Old Testament every time they tried to set aside the Sabbath so they could make more money and... You know, we're losing a whole day of business. And all, And it's what they did over and over. God, His terms were like this. He said, I blew upon what you did. He would send devourers among you. He'd say, hope you enjoy spinning your wheels in so many words. I don't think God ever used that phrase. But He would say, you know, you're, you're going to set me aside and try to just, you know, grab, grab, greedy, greedy, all you can. And, uh, you're gonna, you know, good luck on that. <laughs> Anybody knows Chick-fil-A's done okay. They've made an issue not being open on Lord's Day. That's their issue. To do that. That's fine. But they've stood true. Kathy did. I hope his descendants will keep it going. Uh, but the, but the, you know, he. That was vital to him. That was vital to him. Does the name R.G. Laterno mean anything to anybody? Does anybody know the term Laterno? They build heavy, heavy equipment. Letourneau University is down in, actually in Longview, Texas, and uh, down that area. And uh, anyway, he was, he was a man who designed massive earth-moving equipment. Um, his stuff was used more than Caterpillar was before Caterpillar came on the scene and that. Helped build the Hoover Dam and that sort of thing. And he had a principle he operated by that he gave a day to the Lord. And uh, he's a believer, was very strong about it. And uh, he talked about he was under such pressure to finish one contract. And it was in relationship to the Hoover Dam. And uh, he said he, he kept working, kept working, and was worked seven days, weeks. He said, God... In his words. He's got a tremendous book called "Mover of Men and Mount Mountains and Men." R.G. Loterno, "Mover of Mountains and Men," It's a great book. Um, but the uh, he 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 talked about how God uh, God what happened with that. How he was falling further behind, and he set that aside. Subcontractors got mad. The people said, "If you fall behind, the people would can him the contract." Said, "We're going to get you off of this." And this was a make or break. That single contract. Contract That single contract, his part of working on that dam would make or break his entire company that he had built. And yet he saw they came in so far ahead of schedule with such a quality of work that he not only got paid fully, but got bonuses for it. Now what was he doing? It? He was recognizing something. there. He was view, doing it as worship for God. We just read in Romans, one man doesn't observe a day and he doesn't observe it to the Lord. Another man observes a day and observes it to the Lord. Here's the issue with it in this issue of Sabbaths. not, I'm not talking about the particular day. What I'm talking about is we need to understand the man that this Sabbath was made for man because we need something that makes us pause in what we're doing and recognize that God's worth worshiping. If not, we'll be we'll be we'll be at it so hard and so heavy all the time that uh, that we just blow past who God is, and God doesn't want that at all. Um, then and number two, it allows it allows man to acknowledge the image in which he is made. That's tied to the first one, obviously. But our Creator rested, and so we also rest. We recognize that. It was funny. Luke and I were having a discussion, and uh, I'd uh, uh, they'd come over for a meal and uh, i'd come in from a ride in the evening got in uh in in the evening and had pushed hard on a ride and we were talking we were talking about things and and he was talking about he said you know he says working out and and training because he was looking and 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 seeing that i do have rest times rest period he goes you know without the rest periods he had no idea about this or what i was talking about or any of that he said you know without the rest periods he says the, the training will eventually completely degrade you to a point where you'll be weak. If all you do is train, all you do is train, all you do is train. When I first started lifting weights when I was young, I started doing that, and, and I started reading about it, you know, you didn't have all these things available now. You had to go to like a place called a library, and you had to get something called a book, and you had to try to study about it. And the, uh, I, I found out that you shouldn't lift every day. All these guys in high school were trying to lift the same muscle groups every day, and they weren't getting stronger. And I found out, man, you do that every day. You're just tearing down, you're just tearing down, you're just tearing down. God built our structure to where we have to have something to build you back up. You know the difference, don't you, between recreation and amusement? The words are completely different. Anybody want to guess what two words basically you have? You have actually a prefix and a word. Recreation, it's to re-what? Create. And so it has the purpose of rejuvenating and bringing you back up, back up to strength again. The word ah, or the letter, well, this, it's a letter, sounds as a sound, ah, as in amusement, when it's in the front of a word like that for a prefix, it means no or not. There's a theological position called the ah millennial position. They don't believe that Christ will rule and reign for a thousand years in Jerusalem. They're millennial. They don't believe that's going to happen again, yeah, pre, post, and millennial. And uh, so ah, uh, you, you don't do it. And atheist, which you pronounce it differently, no theos. I do not believe there's a God. Atheist. When you have that word in the front, is atheist, is, it means no or there. Amusement, does anybody know what the word muse means? It means, M-U-S-E. It means to think, to dwell on Guess what amusement is? No think. So you go to a no think park. (laughs) You go to be no think. And I think a lot of people are really achieving their goal. (laughs) There's a difference between recreating and amuse. And in that, that's what the Sabbath does for us because it recognizes that we're made in the image of somebody. And we accept the fact that we have to, we, we have to, uh, we have to go at things at a certain pace and, uh, and focus on what the Lord wants us to focus on. My mom used to say to me all the time, she'd say, children, tomorrow's another day. My mom had a gear you wouldn't believe as far as her work capacity load was unreal. She required very little sleep. She could run at high end a long, 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 long time. Uh, but she, uh, she'd say she'd be doing something. She goes, all right, children, tomorrow's another day. What them in. I meant, okay, you've done what you can do. And then you go forward from there. And uh, then it allows man to acknowledge his inherent need. It allows us to acknowledge our inherent need. There's a lot of missed opportunity because we don't acknowledge the fact we have need. Um, only God is all in all. He's the only one that is all in all. None of us are. And then it allows and compels man to acknowledge that to ignore the Sabbath is to, is to court disaster. And so anyway, I wanted to give you a little more. I just I just really felt like the church body could use that. Now let me take just the next few moments and let's go into 1 Samuel 22. And I'm kind of... Doing what you should never do as a preacher. I'm kind of putting together two two truths tonight. I'm giving a little strong emphasis to each, but like I'm in line with what I'm supposed to be doing. First Samuel 22. We've had five messages on, on uh, David here in the wilderness, his wilderness years. I'll bring you the sixth one tonight in just the next few minutes here. Here's tonight's title for the message uh, from this passage, and that's this. It's a time of extremes. A time of extremes. I'm going to warn you going into this, you're going going to encounter something very sad and tragic in this chapter. Now, I want you to take time to think about the fact these are real people. The people affected by it were affected for life by the things that happened in this chapter. I want you to look at consequences that come. I want you to realize how far reaching consequences could be. Let's look at 1 Samuel 22. David, therefore, departed, and um, he had just departed for Machish, who was the king of Gath. Remember, David acted like he was crazy to get away from the king of Gath? Remember that? Let the Spittle run down his beard. Scrabbled at the gate. I love, I still love what Aikish said. He said, who brought this man to play the madman? He says, have I need of madmen?" I love it. Did I, did I, did I, excuse me, did I order, did I Amazon order a crazy? Why why is this guy here? And he said, well, I I let him in my house. He goes, I don't want this guy around. And that's how David got away. And he ran, ran away and took off with that. And, And I told some of you were amused by me telling you about me rear-ending the guy in Chicago, and I was going to die for my indiscretion. I acted like I was completely lost my mind, and he had pity on me, and I got away. Um, there's a, hey, all scripture profitable, man. There, it has application, trust me. <laughs> Real-life application in that case. All right? David therefore departed thence, so he gets away from Achish there, and escaped to the cave Adullam, which we'll find out more about later in another time. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Let me just say something to you here that's interesting. I want you to be watching for this as we go forward with things. Saul and his army go all over the place looking for David, trying to find him. They get leads on him, and then he gets gets away before they can get to him and all that stuff. And then David, though, there are certain men and his family here, and there are other people, they can come find him. That's always the way it is. He's not completely hidden. In fact, it's going to get worse in just a minute. He's—you talk about rough enough if you're trying to hide just yourself and your family or something. It's fixing to get very hard here for for David. So his brethren, his father's house, and his brethren—they went down thither to him. Now think with me just a second, all right? Anybody related to David's going to be in danger. I mean, Saul's on a rampage. The king's wanting to kill David. So you figure if you're close kin to him. Probably not a great thing. And by the way, Saul keeps referring to David as the son of Jesse. Where is the son of Jesse? Where is the son of Jesse? If you're Jesse, some point you got to be getting a bit twitchy. At the very least, and this is legitimate, at the very least you could end up in a hostage situation where the king's am going to kill you and David's going to have to show himself. So you could become a tool or leverage against him and so you got this situation going on. These are real life deals going on here. And uh, so they went to him. And then look in verse 2. There's a message I've preached here and a couple other places called the army for the outcast king. David at this point is the outcast king. He's anointed king, but he doesn't have a throne. He has no political power. He's an outcast. And by the way, from this group that's getting ready to be described to you, come David's mighty men. Come some of the strongest leaders in his kingdom. But look where they start. David's running from the king and verse 2 and says, and everyone that, look at this group, was in distress. It's a narrow or a straight place. They didn't know which way to go. And everyone that was in debt, maybe that's why they were in distress. Honestly, it'll do it to you. And everyone that was discontented, that's why they'd gotten in debt. Honestly, these things tied together. They weren't content with what they had, so they got in debt, and now they're distressed gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them and there were with him about 400 men. He's out here in the wilderness running from the king and all of a sudden these people come out to him. And a good sized group comes out to him. Who are these people that are coming to him? People who are upset. People who are discontented. People who owe money. They're in bad shape. But look what he became. Look what the verse says. He became a captain unto them. He took the leadership of them and did something with them. Because the hand of God was on him, he was already anointed to be king, so he started with what he had. That is a ragtag group. Man, if you were part of an HR department, these are not the folks you want to hire. Can you please tell me three reasons why you would be a benefit to our company? Well, I'm discontented, I'm in distress, I'm in debt. Thank you, appreciate that. Um, Next. But they come out to him. Now, here's the second problem. Think with me about this, all right? David's trying to hide from a king in a nation which is not geographically large in the surrounding area. Now David has 400 to take care of. That means he's the captain of it. You know what that means, don't you? That means he's responsible for figuring out how they're going to eat. There ain't enough rabbits in those hills. I don't care how many conies are up in those rocks the Psalms talk about. You get 400 hungry men, I don't know how many conies each one can eat. They're the little, little big rabbit-like things. They're going to be out of there. Now, I'm not talking about conies like, you know, hot dogs and <laughs> that kind of stuff. Different kind of cony. Um, that's a problem. Anybody here think that a grown man, especially a grown man who's a warrior-type man, Again, everybody thinks that they could eat two pounds of food a day. How many of you eat more than two pounds of food one Sunday? You do that, Jacob? That's good. Probably about eight. Uh, <laughs> yes? You you do that? I have before. I, mean, I eat that much in green beans, man. I don't know. <laughs> Watch it happen. I don't know how much do you have to make me make a meatloaf for all there? How many pounds? How much? If the, the whole herd's there. Oh, goodness, one. I think it was two pound each. There was, four. There was two four Two? Two pound meat loaves, plus we had other meat, plus more fixings than you imagine. My wife fixed a bunch of them. Literally, the were when we had a bowl about this big, and fried taters like that. How many cans of green meat? Uh, huh? With all of them. Six cans? Bradley and Marleo go through one of them. You don't want to know what Roman can eat. You say, y'all are gorgeous. say oh, no. It's what, she's always cooked like a farm girl and everybody everybody there puts out a lot of calories, does a lot of work. Okay, so let's put it at two pounds per day for 400 men. Anybody want to do a quick calculation on how many pounds of food you need every day? What about water? How do you hide 400 people? Later, it grows to 600. It's a time of extremes. Verse 3 And David went thence to Mizpah, to Moab. By the way, there are several different places in the Bible named Mizpah. It means a tower or a watching place, is what it means. And this one's Mizpah and Moab. Now, watch this. This is neat. So it's Mizpah. Look in verse 3. It's Mizpah of where? Now, hold on. I'll show you something. And he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father. And my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. I like that. For me. Not with me. For me. And he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. David had to get his mom and dad into another country. It's like a witness protection program here. Literally. They have to get away from Saul. But where does he go? Moab. You know what's really neat about that? <laughs> he went back to the home area of his great-grandmother. Her name was Ruth. The Moabite. There were kinfolk over there. Distant the cousins, but kinfolk. And David goes over there and says, "I need you to take care of my mother and father until I see what God will do for me." In other words, think about think about this thinking. And he's still a young man. He's like, "I gotta make sure mom and dad are cared for, and I'm gonna have a hard time." Cap. I mean, think about the crew he has to run. I got these four hundred guys. Yay. What do you think those people were like together in a strenuous situation? Do you think four hundred people that are described that way came in with sweet attitudes and overflowing with charity? That's not the description of people who have real good relationship skills. And he said, my hands are going to be full. And I need you to take care of them. Verse 5, And the prophet Gad said said unto David, Abide not in the hold. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. And uh, so God would send His messengers from time to time direct David. Then Saul heard that David was discovered. Somebody came and told him he was there. And the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah. Look what he's got. Having his what in his hand? Do not get near him or turn your back. And all his servants were standing about him. The next few verses are just pitiful, what they describe. Saul here, his pride and rebellion is leading so fast to the total derangement of his mind that it's startling. Look at what he does. Here's the king with all his servants around him. Then Saul said unto his servants... That stood about him. Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards, and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? This man, if a modern psychologist were analyzing him, they would analyze him as a paranoid, possibly a paranoid schizophrenic. He's nuts. Look what he's telling him. He says, "What's he going to do?" David's going to take it. Oh, yeah, he's going to make you all rich and everything. He's just absolutely imploding here. It's horrible to, to see really what happens to him. Verse 8, that all of you have conspired against me. And old Saul, man, everything's about him. Everything's about him. Not help. What a, what a wicked way of thinking. And there's none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there's none of you that is sorry for me. Or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as this day. So, check out what he does. He says, none of you are feeling sorry for me. He said, all of you think David's going to do something good for you. All of you, he's talking to his servants, are against me. And... In addition to that, he says, David's hiding out, waiting to get me. David's running for his life. Here's a king, completely surrounded by his army, saying, you, you, David's just waiting to get me and you all are helping him. I mean, he's lost it. Well, look who shows up in verse 9. That's horrible what gets ready to happen. Then answered, what's his name? Doeg. The Edomite. That old boy was just biding his time, waiting to earn favor. Which was sent over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse come to, coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, And he inquired of the Lord for him. He said, I'll tell you what Ahimelech did. He, he, he went to God for David, which he did not do. He said he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals, gave him food, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. That lie put into the ear, I mean, he did give him food and he did give him Goliath's sword, but it wasn't because he was conspiring with him and he didn't inquire the Lord for him. That lie is getting ready to cost, check this out, 85 people their lives. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came all of them to the king. And Saul said, Here now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. So here poor Ahimelech is, he, he has no idea at all. He he, he knows he, he doesn't know what he's walking into. And Saul said unto him, Why have you conspired against me? I wrote this statement down. Saul's paranoia and delusion have become to him a fact which will have fatal consequences for other people. You think you can talk Saul out of this stuff? Hey, you better listen. You start down that trail rebellion. Setting aside God's word. Jealousy, envy, and hatred. You start down that trail, you don't know what you'll end up like. You better wake up and pay attention. You better get off that trail before you walk on it. And he makes a statement there. And he said, Why have you conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, and that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? He says, he's just waiting to ambush me. And you caused it. Can you imagine being overwhelmed at Himalak's And then Himalak answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law? And goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house. He said, Saul, he's your most faithful servant. That's your son-in-law. He's greatly honored. Ooh that you can't reason with someone like this look what he does verse 15 did I then begin to inquire of God for him be it far from me let not the king impute anything unto his servants nor to all the house of my father for thy servant knew nothing of all of this less or more do you remember that Ahimelech like, asked David he thought it was unusual and he's like Wait, what are you doing out here remember that He didn't know what was going on. Verse 16, and the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. Ahimelech makes a totally rational statement. The king says, Everybody answered you, you're dead. Everybody related to you is dead. Wow. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, these are soldiers. Turn and slay the priest of the Lord. How could you even frame that sentence and get it out of your mouth? Turn and slay the priest of the Lord. Kill him. Turn and slay the priest of the Lord. What a thing to say. Because their hand also is with David. And by the way, he had just accused those footmen of being with David. And because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me, but the servants of the king would not Put forth their hand to fall upon the priest of the Lord. They said, "No, <laughs> not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. <laughs> we got a respect for that." But I tell you what, my brother Mark Siegbert is, in the midst of all the nonsense going on and totalitarianism trying to come in in different ways. Brashear is the governor of Kentucky. Not a good man. He, uh, well, he was draconian with some things. He was trying to. They, they were actually finding people who went to church, taking down license plate numbers and finding people, threatening to arrest people, coming in on people. They were doing that, coming in the parking lots. I asked Brother Mark because I knew he wouldn't shut down for anybody. I said, "Brother Mark, I was going down there." He said, "Aye, we got it pretty easy, really, Brother Man." I said, "How's that?" He said, "It's our sheriff." And uh, I said, what do you mean? He said, every time Governor Brashears gets on the TV and says, churches is me, we're going to send people in. He says, our sheriff gets on the TV and says, we're not doing that in my county. Amen. And he says, if the governor sends anybody down, they'll be met with force. Amen. That's awesome. You say, well, what's going on with that? Well, what's going on with these servants? Saul says, kill those priests. And they say, <laughs> God's priests? uh Uh-uh. Not doing that. But there is one there that will do it. By the way, he has some help with him. But who do you reckon it is? Verse 18, And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and he fell upon the priest and slew on that day four score and five persons, 85 people, that did wear a linen ephod that identified them as the priest they aren't armed they would they defend themselves and he just slaughters he doesn't stop there he goes to their town and Nob the city of the priests smote he with the edge of the sword both men and women children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep, with the edge of the sword what a destruction on that day and one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitha, named Abithar, and he'll show up later, escaped and fled after David. He ran to David. And Abithar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priest. So well, he didn't actually kill him. He had him killed. Blood's on him. Same as that. And David said unto Bathar, I knew it that day when Doeg, the Edomite, was there. David said, I saw Doeg. I knew there was going to be trouble. I knew what he was. That he would surely tell Saul, look what David says, and you can believe he felt the weight of this, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. You say, well, it wasn't David's fault, but don't you know he felt that? These people died and went on with that. Then look what he says. This isn't David being braggadocious. This is, this is the hand of God on him. This is, he's a king. He doesn't have that position yet. He doesn't have the throne. He doesn't control. But he's a king. Because a king is what he's been made inside. Not what position he holds. Look what he says. Look how kingly this is. He's got this guy scared. His whole family's been taken out. Here's what David, who's running for his life, looks what he, look what he says. He says, Abide thou with me. He says, come here, I'll take care of you. Fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. He's not being cocky. That's a king talking. He said, you stay with me. Why? Because I know God's going to do something. You stay here and we'll be alright. That's a king. That, right there's a king talking. You want to hear how a king sounds? The king's running for his life. That king has the threat over his head every day. And what he says to the others, you're going to be alright. It'll be all right. That's a king talking there. And uh, well, I'll tell you, so much went on there. But it's tragic if we actually think about what happened and how evil and how destructive evil can be. And uh, may God help us never to be a part of that there. Well, let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for your words. I pray that you'll help your people. As I've tried to lay out some different things on the table tonight, I pray that they'll get what they need for themselves from it that they may serve you better. Lord, uh, so much has happened. We're, we're a bloody people as, as humans. And uh, Father, it's going on right now in our world always has been. since Cain and Abel. We need you. Lord, I reckon my brother John was right when he said uh, the world definitely needs somebody to save it. And uh, God, that's right. We need you. I pray you'll bless. Help us tonight to be people who walk close to you. I ask you for the people who have been here on this midweek service, have taken this evening in the middle of their week and have been in the Lord's house. I pray you bless them for doing that. And Lord, may they get get good from it. Lord, may, it, may, they, may they not just let it go past. May they not just turn around and check and see who's been trying to get a hold of them or this or that. But may they think about it, Lord, and let you take effect in their heart, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Something you want to bring before the Lord tonight. Every time the Word of God's open, I want to give you opportunity for you to be open to the Word of God. We have a song invitation. Why don't you come this evening? Something you want to bring to the Lord, bring yourself to him. Ask him to work in your life. Mind you again, this was a king that started well. And everything came barred and he despised the word of the Lord.